Welcome to a very special episode of Second Chance Cinema called Be Kind, Rewind. This is an episode from our first season, recut, remixed, and re-edited for your listening pleasure. Fair warning, there's cursing, and our hosts do spoil movie endings, but we also promote the movies, as is our goal with them all. Enjoy the show. Should have taken my deal. People, is that how you want to play us? It's okay. It's okay, Nick. I know you're angry. That's good. That's what it takes. What God it has to be. What if I said you were fighting? I was wrong. What if I had said, well, let's take him to trial, huh? Then I would say you're making progress. And we might have lost. And Ames and Darby will both go free. Don't you get that? He didn't care, Nick. He didn't even try. You could have walked out of that courtroom with your head held high. I could have lived with that, Nick. I'll keep my head up, and you will end this. I'm just getting warmed up. This is Von Klauswitz shit. Total fucking war. Welcome everyone to a very special edition of <laughs> Second Chance Cinema. Why is it special? Because you're here. Oh. And because... The listening audience or me? No, you. Oh. Fuck them. <laughs> because um, you're here and you're my friend and I love you and I'm happy to be doing this. That's why. That's all. Oh, this is a pleasant note to start off yeah. with. Yeah. You know, well, I figure we need some pleasantries because the movie we're going to be doing is pretty <laughs> effing grim. Absolutely. But also pretty effing awesome, as is the case with most of the movies that we, well, all the movies we believe we review on the show. I am one of your hosts, MC. Hi, I'm Spro. And like we said, this is Second Chance Cinema, where we take a look at movies that kind of have gone under the radar, so to speak. Um, Not necessarily good nor bad, but movies that, well, movies that we believe are awesome, but have not gotten their just due. True, and we're we're here to refute the critics who, for one reason or another, maybe it was like the wrong time for the movie to come out. Maybe the critics just do not like this particular brand of movie. Uh, They gave them bad reviews, and we're just, we're here to say... Avenge. Right. We're here to avenge. The critics aren't always right. So this first, uh, or rather this this installment of this episode, I don't even know how to describe this movie in terms of just wow. In terms of uh, just the brutality of, I don't know if you'd call him the protagonist. I Technically, I guess you wouldn't. I'm very, though. once we get into the whole thing, there's a whole lot right. to unpack. A whole as, lot to unpack. As you as, like to say. As we like to say here on, Unch- <laughs> on Second Chance Cinema, there is definitely a whole lot to unpack. The movie that we're talking about today is the Gerard Butler slash Jamie Foxx slash... Cole Mamini vehicle. Slash Leslie Bibb. Slash Leslie Bibb vehicle, law-abiding citizen. Which, what year was this? This 2009. 2009. So f- this is probably the most recent movie. We've it done. is. I just was thinking about that. Like, we have not, I don't think we've done a 21st century film yet. Okay, so this is the most recent movie we've we've talked about on the show. 
and I watched it again last night. I've seen it a bunch of times, pretty familiar with it. And the one thing that that before we play the trailer and get deeper into it, the one ta- the one thing that I've mentioned already that just struck me was the absolute just brutality. Yeah. Not just of the like actual acts of violence, but the innocent people killed by again the protagonist slash antagonist slash super antagonist Gerard Butler. Well, and that's what I kind of want to unravel with this is just you know like I am seriously conflicted with what I feel good guy versus bad guy like there's no there's a whole lot of gray area when it comes to this film. Absolutely. So before we do the, before we get too deep, let's uh, let's do what we do and play the trailer. While we play the trailer. We're going to go ahead and each of us is going to write a traditional Japanese poem. Haiku is a traditional <laughs> Japanese poem invented by the warlords to confuse their enemies with the uh, uh, the stereotypical femininity of poetry. And wow. uh, Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and write a, a haiku describing the movie. And here's the trailer for Law Abiding Citizen. Hi. Yeah. Okay, I got it. We gotta get out of here. What are you doing? Come on. This is the Shelton case. Where are we? Let's make the deal. They killed a little girl there. Some justice is better than no justice at all. You need to tell the husband. Yeah, I don't understand. With Darby's testimony, Ames will go to death row. What? The jury's gonna believe me. The deal is done. I'm sorry. This is just how the justice system works. painless execution has turned into something out of a horror film. The machine was corrupted. Who could have done this? I killed your friend Ames in prison, but I wanted to keep you all for myself. Your heart is beating so fast. Me too. Did you murder Clarence Darby? He killed my wife and child. I guess we're done here. Counselor, you might want to cancel your 1230 lunch with Judge Roberts. Hello? You and whoever else you have helping you are gonna pay. Now you're the one who makes deals with murderers, yeah. So I've come to make mine. Release me or what? Or I kill everyone. We have him locked up and he's still killing people? I found a couple of contract payments from the Department of Defense. Tell us what we're dealing with. A spy? Spies are a dime a dozen. Clyde is a brain and he was the best. If Clyde wants you dead, you're dead. We're gonna lock the city down, put an armed cop on every corner. He's in jail because he wants to be in jail. <laughs> I'm gonna bring the whole system down on your head. It's gotta be biblical. You will end this. I'm just getting warmed up. Okay, so that was a pretty sweet trailer. I don't remember seeing that movie in the theater, um, no. but I and I, I actually don't recall much of the hype around it. But it came on cable or something one time, and I watched it, and I was just like, "Wow, this is this is awesome." And I don't know what movie I was thinking about because I thought I saw this movie, but I was 
putting a different ending to it from a different movie. Like I was, I was seeing like a building implode and then skylights and then they come in and they find the guy dead or something like that. Like, I don't know what movie that is, but when it wasn't that ending, I was like, what was I thinking about this entire time? A building implodes. Yeah. Like he's in a, like a warehouse and then he accidentally blows himself up. And so the building comes down and then they go in and they see the guy is dead. It's okay, man. All right. Take a breath. All right. (laughs) So, all right. Um, you want to go first? Sure. Go first. So my haiku, 575, is it's what you can prove. Jamie Foxx's teeth line up well. Oh. <laughs> He's Scottish sometimes. Who's Scottish sometimes? Gerard Butler. That's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like the teeth because I've noticed that too. His teeth and his hairline both were just He's like- He's got like an intense look that I could never pull off. Just like Lego perfect. Yeah. You like to call it. So, um, okay. So I actually, in honor of my- sister who just got married and is on her honeymoon in ireland have written a limerick i deviated from the from congrats the, to katie right um i deviated from the um from the the format oh but this is a limerick so what's a limerick um a limerick is a traditional irish poem originated by the leprechauns to protect their gold obviously oh. and it goes like this <clears throat> there once was a man named clyde he was sad because his whole family died he had lots of fun then killed everyone, and we got to see his naked backside. Nice. Remember when they capture him? And no, he yeah, no, totally. Down and, so is that A, B, C, C, B? Um, it's A, A, B, B, A. Okay. So it rhymes, rhymes, new rhyme, new rhyme, rhymes. Old rhyme. Yep. I like so, it. Maybe we'll throw in some sonnets, some iambic pentameters. I feel like some... the asshole that wrote a haiku now. Uh, no, it's okay. I've sprung that on you. I've sprung <laughs> that on you. So, all right. So back to what we were talking about. Is Gerard Butler, whose character's name is Clyde Shelton, is Clyde Shelton the hero or the villain of this movie? <clears throat> Here's my problem. So my first kind of favorite films, boxing films. Love boxing films. Okay. Second favorite, revenge flicks. Okay. Like, top three movies I have is Seven, which is kind of a revenge flick. Uh-huh. The second one is Fight Club, which is not. And then the third one is Man on Fire, which oh, is okay. like, you know, uh-huh. pure revenge flick. Okay. Have you seen The Equalizer? Yes. Oh. Equalizer up there. I like all those, like, I spit on your grave, The Last House on the Left. Like, did you see The Equalizer 2? I did. Did you think it was as bad as I did? Probably not as bad as you did. But not great. Yeah, I kind of just put it on and then started doing other things. I did not enjoy it because it was not as good as the first one, but I hope they make a third one so that they can call it The Threequalizer. It might not happen. Write it down. <laughs> Go on. So the movie starts hard. Yes. Like this movie doesn't let you settle. The bo- the couple times I watched it to get ready for this episode, I fast forwarded through the home invasion scene because yeah. it just made me sad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I like, didn't want to watch it. I think that's part of the reason why I like revenge flicks so much is because you had to get through that brutal scene. Like, I mean, I'm having a couple, a little marriage issues myself, but if somebody did that to my wife right now, like I would straight up murder somebody and so i like it here first cops (laughs) i like revenge flicks because i can completely side with the protagonist as they are going after the people that have wronged them in the beginning of the film gerard butler's just sitting there with his daughter who is making bracelets one is a daddy bracelet for him one's a mommy bracelet for her and then people break into the house end up one time stabbing both gerard butler and his wife which was odd at first and then you're like wow that's something completely different because all he did was stick a knife in and then draw it out like it wasn't like very graphic there and then the one guy starts raping gerard butler's wife in front of him which i can't deal with at all in my psyche and then takes his daughter away out of the room to do whatever and then you find out that both wife and daughter have been killed right 
then Jamie Foxx makes a deal right. in the courtroom. Do you trust me? Do you trust me, Clyde? Yeah, of course. Darby has agreed to testify against Ames. With Darby's testimony, Ames will go to death row. And what about, what about Darby then? Darby will plead guilty to murder. In what degree? Third. He serves, what, five years? At best? I don't, I don't understand. I'm, I'm sorry. We had a setback, Clyde. The judge ruled that the DNA was inadmissible. What? Exclusionary rule. The opposing counsel maneuvered it. You said this part of the case was, was clear-cut. We had the blood on the shirt? It's covered under the same rule. Well, then what about the rest of the forensic evidence? It's not conclusive, Clyde. Okay, well, that's okay, because I saw... I saw their faces. I, I saw them do it. I mean, <laughs> kill my little girl, man. You blacked out, Clyde. Your testimony won't be reliable. You get on the stand and the defense will tell you apart. No, no, the jury's gonna believe me, though. Because it's the truth. We can we win this lose. case. We lose. And then we'd have nothing. You would waste a whole year, spend millions of dollars, and then both of them can end up going free. Nick, the, both of them are guilty, especially Darby. You know that. It's not what you know, Clyde. It's what you can prove in court. Jamie Foxx is a hotshot attorney aspiring to climb the corporate ladder. And he... So there are two guys that come into the house and murder Gerard Butler's family. And he makes a deal with one of them to testify against the other one, which will put the other one on death row and put the first one away for about five years for murder. Right. That's that's the deal he makes. And the the one that gets away for with five years is the one that was actually the rapist and like the other guy right. was just kind of watching. Right. So he so the guy the the real bad guy, whose name was Darby, uh, flips and basically turns coat on his friend, his accomplice, and puts him on death row in exchange for a lighter sentence. And so that's when Jamie Foxx meets with Gerard Butler and tells him that he cut a deal. And Gerard Butler's like, what are you talking about? They murdered my family. And that's when you sort of, that was the moment, like that conversation between those two, when I stopped having any sort of sympathy at all for Jamie Foxx. Right. Because he just comes off as an arrogant prick who he says some justice is better than no justice at all. And my confusion is like, so I'm, I'm assuming that Gerard Butler, and maybe I'm wrong to assume that Gerard Butler like is represented by Jamie Foxx or is Jamie Foxx representing like, quote, the state. The state. Yeah, the state. Okay. So because my first, my first confusion was like, doesn't Gerard Butler get to decide like what they do? No. Like, but I guess if it's, it's not a capital his, murder. Okay, so if it's not his personal attorney or whatever, then I guess not. So, yeah, I mean, he could sue them in, like, civil court or whatnot. Okay, so that, that makes a little more sense then. But, yeah, so Jamie Foxx says, you know, some justice is better than no justice at all. And the undertones, and even maybe, like, some more outright declarations he makes are, are like, he wants to keep up his 100% conviction rate. Yeah, and, like, 96 or something like that. Doesn't he say that, mm. I think? So he's basically going at this with ego, and he's going at it with, like, no sense of emotion, just all kind of by-the-book litigious. And that's at least when I kind of realized that I was going to be rooting for Gerard Butler in this movie. Right. The imagery is when he 
in a couple like in 10 minutes he's about to get rested or whatever in the film and he's working on a pair of wings at the desk so they're saying like the imagery throughout this is the the story of icarus oh um oh yeah yeah close to the sun you know that's that's the last imagery is you know he got too close to the flames he wings in the sense of like he was they were like those mechanical something mm-hmm. wing. Okay. That you that, never see again. You know, like the, right. that's just imagery. And that's what they're saying with like Jamie Foxx. His main problem was his was his pride, like you were saying. Hubris. Yep. One of the things to unpack about this film is and how we kind of go into seri- more serious topics that films bring up is plea deals. Uh-huh. Is the, should we have plea deals like that? Like if you have two people that are accused of murder, do you let one walk so you can get the other one? Like I feel like it's that's shady dealing in our legal system. Like lobbyists in 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 Washington D.C. feel like plea deals are. I'll be honest, I did not come prepared to discuss this. Oh, but I mean, obviously, you'd want them both to go away for life, or depending on your views on the death penalty, you'd want them both to you know be executed. I don't know. I mean, in theory, some justice is better than no justice is a sound argument, but that's only on paper. I think. Right. When you get into like the emotional and like visceral parts of cases like the one that's displayed in the movie, I mean, I don't think you can settle for anything less than like life in prison. Right. But again, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I was really good on debate team, but I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. Well, one thing too that we should mention is that the reason he copped this plea deal is because they explained very briefly that the DNA evidence was inadmissible. Right. So that's probably part, that's kind of like, not a MacGuffin, but like a, I don't know, a purposeful hitch that they've thrown in there to, right. to kind of make the story more interesting. So you'd hope that in if this were to happen in real life, God forbid, that it wouldn't, that wouldn't be an issue. But the DNA evidence is inadmissible, and so that's why he has to cop the plea. That was, I was sitting back and I was like, but he saw them, but I realized eyewitness testimony. Like, I was on a jury duty and the guy was like, I saw that guy attack me, but the guy had a an alibi that they didn't they didn't try to whoa really yeah and so like i was sitting in the jury room frustrated i was like look he had an alibi nobody could refute it or poke any holes into it you have to go along with pretty much the defendant during every you know they have to so you let a murderer walk free he wasn't a murderer he jumped a guy for his atm card or something like that but then they're like the judge came in i don't know if i can do this show anymore So, well, this is actually a pretty good topic for this. But I mean, like, so then the judge came into the jury room afterwards and was like, I know you guys are all frustrated. This guy's next trial is because he punched a cop and he's probably going away for that one. So don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, oh okay. really? Yeah. Judges can do that? Yeah. I guess. I don't know. This one did. Interesting. We all just sat in there like we were pissed off because the state lawyers who were like two 20-year-old jackasses, you couldn't try a case to save their life. So Interesting. Um, and the judges come in. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's like, I see you guys are all, thank you for your, you know, your civil service. Uh, <laughs> I, I understand that you guys are frustrated with the outcome of this case. Just so you know, he is due in court next week. And this is one is for assaulting a police officer. So... We're well, like, oh, thanks. In the movie, they mentioned that he blacked out. Gerard Butler blacked out, and they said that his testimony would be unreliable because of that, which I find hard to believe considering the extent they go to to explain Gerard Butler's intellect in the movie. Right. They paint him as a genius on many different levels, and I feel like that would help his um, the credibility of a testimony like that, even if he did black out. They never dive into this, mm-hmm. and this is me you know, writing a separate scene in my mind or whatnot. But I believe Gerard Butler wanted to try the case 
wanted them to get off so they could go out in the real world and then he could just kill them there. That's possible. I would I would not um Because once you find that. out like he's a genius and he could kill anybody from anywhere in the world and da 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 uh-huh. like when he's so mad at Jamie Foxx for only getting five years from one and killing the other, I feel like he's like, No, just try the case and trust that this will all work out somehow. Huh. And so Jamie Foxx's pride in that moment is the reason why now we have a full movie right. of a bunch of people about to die. And they do. <laughs> they sure do. So the first person that he kills is the guy who actually committed the atrocities in his home, Clarence Darby, who reminded me of like a dollar store Donald Logue. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And he sets. So this guy gets out of prison, assumedly after five years. We're forwarded 10 years later into the story when this guy Darby gets a phone call that tells him he's being watched and the cops are coming for him and he needs to escape. And he escapes across these rooftops and stuff like that. You skipped Avery. Who was Avery? Avery was the guy that dies in the... Ames. Ames. Oh, oh, yeah. My bad. The guy who's on death row. The guy who really didn't do anything, but his partner turned against him. He gets set to death row and supposedly death row executions are basically just like watching someone go to sleep but instead he his execution goes crazy and he starts having these like seizures and convulsions and bleeding all over the place and two questions on this yeah three questions okay i just added one do you believe in capital punishment like the death penalty yeah i don't know i would think honestly i think life in prison is more of a punishment than the death penalty mm-hmm the second one would be, would you ever watch... But wait, that's me, talking from, that's me talking from the experience of someone who's lived with depression for 10 years <laughs> and has often been like, man, I just, I just, just take me. <laughs> so life in prison, I think, would be more of a punishment. Gotcha. I think. Uh, because my, when I was sitting there watching, I was like, would I ever go see an execution? Yeah, that, that kind of was a strange... Because it was presented so like grandiose with the curtain coming back and all that stuff every like, every and movie get, that has you know an execution scene has that curtain that really up. yeah i wonder if that's really how it is or if because my opinion was that they just did it to juxtapose with the um the cello recital of the little girl I, which was awesome which was great I yeah mean, you you saw it happening but in the same instance you're like oh this is this is a good juxtaposition. oh it was great it was great but yeah i don't know and then yeah so like jamie fox was there the bad guy's lawyer was there who was just a schmuck and an asshole mm-hmm. and a bunch of other people who you assume were probably like the press, I guess, and right. some other and cops have, and like, stuff. You could have relatives or whatnot that can come in and <coughs> coach you through it. And then the third question would be... Wait, what was your second question? Second question is, would you watch a... Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Like if... if uh, not, I mean, not willingly. You, I, well, I mean, like if you became pen pals with a guy on death row and he was like, I would really like you there for the, my last oh. moments, like would you be like, nah, I would never watch somebody die or would you be like, oh, you know, maybe. If it was that situation specifically, <laughs> yes, I would go. And then the third question was, even though <clears throat> I feel like the movie is trying to set it up where this guy does not deserve the death penalty because he wasn't the actual killer. In the back of my mind, I go, but he was there and he didn't stop it. You know, like... I kind of uh, side on like Gerard Butler's. I'm on Gerard Butler's side with. He still needs to be taken care of. Well, ideally, what would happen would be the punishments would be reversed True. in the world of the movie. The Boondock Saints would have had a field day with that guy because he um, he was not a good man, but it was the it was um, a non-active participant. Exactly, he did nothing to stop. Right. So he's the first one to die, and they all realize that something's gone wrong because that's not how death or execution should happen but they sort of like 
I mean, they they acknowledge it, but they don't really pursue it, if right. I remember. They're just kind of like, huh, that was weird. Because I feel like that's, I mean, the success rate of execution seems to be like, or like clean, just go to sleep and go away type executions. I hear more stories about you know, people being alive for 45 minutes after they were supposed to die and stuff like that. Where do you hear these stories? I do. I just, all I do is read. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So anyway, so from there, then we go back to Darby, who I was talking about before. Running he, across the rooftops. Running across the rooftops, being guided by this mysterious voice, <laughs> and he ends up inside, or he ends up, uh, yeah, he ends up inside of a cop car with a cop who's been tasered, drives it to this field somewhere, and is ready to execute the cop and make his escape in the cop car. When it's revealed that the cop is actually Gerard Butler, who's been talking to him on the phone this whole time, who's orchestrated this whole thing. Mm-hmm. He's given him a gun. And Darby goes to shoot Gerard Butler, and this is the coolest part of the movie. These little spikes come out of the gun and inject Darby with this neurotoxin. From a blowfish. From a pufferfish. Pufferfish. Caribbean pufferfish that um, paralyzes him, like where he stands, which I don't know if that's possible, because I feel like if you got paralyzed while you were standing, you'd fall over. Well, it's like an action figure that you haven't set up properly for standing. Maybe, yeah. Okay, that's fair. And then we get into probably what is one of the more... Well, maybe not. I was going to say more brutal torture scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, you don't see much, though. You don't. I mean, that's he's why, just that's why, that's why I hesitated. It's kind of so like maybe, the TV show Dexter. Maybe not visually terrible, but the the vibe behind it is just, like, really grim. And that's what, like, I, my note here for that scene is pretty much, well, good for him to be able to take his time. Because I'm still, like, this is, what, probably 20, 25 minutes in the movie? Uh-huh. So I'm still reeling for what he, these two guys did to his wife. You Take know, his to, time over 10 years, you mean? or Well, the 10 years is an issue for me. I'll be... To, because if he's a genius, like, it, 10 years took a whole long time for him to set up what he actually did, which I feel like is... You, you know, feel like you should have done it quicker? I think so. I think five years would be a more logical time um well, but I've obviously ne- the i've years. never planned someone's torture so i don't i don't quite <laughs> well know. and here i mean obviously like i said like i'm just i don't like rape i don't like killing well that's good to know Matt. <laughs> that's great to know <laughs> you heard it here first well and like when i was getting married like the whole thing like i would anything that any movie where like the spouse dies or the spouse is wronged or something like that i'm like i the emotion was on the surface you know mm-hmm. like i was like oh my gosh like what would i do and so when he is doing this whole long drawn out torture scene where he you know he cuts off the penis with box cutters he cuts off the balls with bolt cutters he like hacksaw it was a hacksaw hacksaw with the balls and like he's doing everything with different tools and whatnot i was like man i would just choke somebody (laughs) so you wouldn't be as deliberate i know i would just be pure velociraptor aggression okay oh that's a good what was the um friend zone disney is that the term disney and velociraptor aggression (laughs) that's another good one okay i like that please tourniquets so you don't bleed out you may be here a while saline solution that should keep us going clamps nice and secure comfortable you really are shaking are you alright you love this adrenaline this so you don't pass out. There you go. Good. Now what we don't want 
as you swallow on your tongue, so bear with me. This is for your penis, but we'll get to that later. Scalpel. For your eyelids. In case you insist on fucking shutting them. You see, I know what it feels like to be helpless. Just like when I watched you slaughter my whole family. No, you can't fight fate. But you're, you make a good point. I mean, 10 years was... So you assume Darby was in jail for five years. Right. At most. And then the other five years, considering all the stuff he did, I mean, I don't know how long it takes to dig a tunnel into a prison. True. Um, that was probably the 10 years. That's a good point. Because he didn't just dig one tunnel. He dug like nine. Well, he didn't know what cell he was going to Right. So that's why he had to dig like nine tunnels. That's true. That's the 10 years. I think I so. I feel you. So. I'm just looking at like a souped up gun and being like, well, how long did that take? Well, let it be known to anyone who wrongs um, Spro that uh, you've been put on notice. Yeah, there you go. No, so, no. fun fact, highest heart rate ever yeah, recorded. Yeah, let's go with a fun fact, okay? <laughs> the highest heart rate ever recorded was 400 beats per minute. 480 beats per minute during a conducted tachyarrhythmia. What does that have to do with anything? Well, that's what he was when he was torturing oh, him. Oh, yes. He, w- he gave him adrenaline rate. so yeah, he didn't right. like, pass out. And right. then his heart rate just started climbing, climbing. Yeah, he really thought about that through. He, he gave him adrenaline to keep him awake, saline to keep him, or no, tourniquets to keep him from bleeding out, right. saline to keep his, I think saline helps keep your blood flowing. Well, no, saline for because uh, it keeps you hydrated. Oh, okay. For yeah, like yeah. the blood loss and everything. And he thought to cut off his eyelids so he couldn't close his eyes. Brilliant. Jesus. Brilliant. Took um, his time. He sure did. did I re- we're one degree. Did I ever tell you that I'm one degree away from Gerard Butler? He was going to be in my movie that I wrote. Really? Uh, yeah, and we were getting it to him through his physical trainer, Wes Okerson. Interesting. So, what movie? Wes, uh, the last story of David Allen. Oh. Yeah. Nice. There was meetings in LA and everything like that, and they're like, Gerard really likes your writing. And then he went off and did something else. And I was like, oh, well, there you go. What is yeah. it, What did? Do you know what he did instead? He did three movies, and one of them was the, I think, Gods of Egypt. Which uh, Egyptian god one did he do? Uh, there's so many. I don't know. Pompeii? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, was I don't in, know. <laughs> it was in that year where like he came out with like a bunch of those different. And so the last story of David Allen being like a two and a half million dollar movie was too small like he was going big budget that uh, year well and then that's the, okay the other and while we're on this topic so in 2009 jamie fox and gerard butler do law-abiding citizen 2013 both of them do a white house being attacked movie true do you think they got pitched those things while they're working together on this oh maybe i <laughs> because they do white house down and olympus has fallen <laughs> in wow. four years later which knowing hollywood like it takes about that long to make a movie man white house down we'll have to talk about this later but white house down could be a candidate for this show only because it's so silly <laughs> we'll have to talk about that later but i had no idea i my gerard butler story is that a girl i dated ran into him while she was on vacation in australia and he was a dick really yeah so oh, he's got it. i shouldn't say a dick he was unresponsive I guess, and cold. Yeah, so and you not, never know like what your what kind of day they're having. That's the thing, and I always I try. I mean, not to get too philosophical here, but I try to I guess exemplify that mindset whenever I can because you really never do know what kind of a day someone's having. And I mean, for all you know, they could be dealing with a sick parent or their dog just passed away or something, and they don't feel like 
Or they're hungry. Or they're hungry, hangry. <laughs> and they don't feel like being nice and cordial, and you take it personally, and maybe you shouldn't. Yeah, like and the last fan that ran up on them, punched them in the face, and then ran away. So now they're like, I don't want to deal with a fan today. And so the more you know. Why did he get naked? I think it was... To show that he had no weapons? No weapons, yeah. Which I found a little strange, but I won't say it didn't turn me on. Really? I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) It was a little strange, and I imagine... I like to think that he did it to um, make the cops uncomfortable. Like, they were probably just coming in to arrest him, and then they're like, oh my god, his dick. It didn't work. Like, I was looking at the cops' reactions, because I think I would have been like, oh, No, yeah, that's what I would have been like. I would have been like, oh, you got me. And then... But... The other question, then, is because then he puts on jeans, right? Or they put jeans on him. Okay. That's got to be an uncomfortable moment for a police officer. To dress Gerard Butler? Well, to dress Clyde. Uh, you know, like, you walk in, there's a naked man standing there, and then you got to, like... Well, I don't know. His, I mean, he's a handsome man. I you got to tuck know. him in to the jeans Tr- before that zipper, because it doesn't look true. like they put underwear on him. Probably not. And that is dangerous territory. Probably not. So, essentially, so he gets taken to jail, which is all part of his grand plan. He gets put in general population with this guy who you just feel terrible for because um he he, basically gerard butler maneuvers jamie fox into i almost said jamie kennedy can you imagine (laughs) that movie this movie with jamie kennedy (laughs) (laughs) like at the end he's like hey clyde you've been (laughs) x'd and then he blows up anyway so he he gets into this cell with this guy and starts making all these demands in exchange for confessions so he says i'll confess that i killed darby if you bring me a bed mm-hmm. and then i'll confess to another murder that you don't even know about if you bring me lunch from this fancy restaurant and his ipod and his ipod and all of this stuff he's doing except for the bed i don't think the bed had anything to do with his master plan i think that was just kind of like a dick Comfort. swinging move yeah. yeah so anyway so he 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 orders a t-bone steak i think or something like that yep for the t-bone long story which was like I didn't catch on to that as soon as you, or until you saw the shot of him holding it like a shiv in his right. hand. And then you're just like, oh, fuck. So, but even like when you realize what he's about to do, you have no idea. How sick it's going to be. How. The- <laughs> like, there was so much blood. And they said like they had to cut that down because that was what was going to earn them an NC-17 Probably. Rating. So he's in this. But I've never seen a kill. He, he's in the cell with this guy who's just like a schlub looking like typical kind of prisoner. So I suppose if I don't share this with you, you're gonna... I'm gonna get the fuck up. I'm gonna cock back my right hand. And I'm gonna split your whole fucking skull in two. How about that? Well, come on over here. Join me. There's plenty to go around. Here. Enjoy. Have some pasta. Good. What about some steak? You like steak? Mm. Steak. I'm gonna a big piece for you. There you go. <laughs> okay. mm. Good, huh? What'd you do to get here anyways? I did what I had to do. I what? almost want to bring up Daniel Logue again and be like Daniel Logue's like Tennessee cousin. Donald Logue? <laughs> like like, Daniel yeah, like Logue, Bizarro yeah. Donald Logue maybe? And yeah, he's he's not a nice guy. He's obviously a criminal, but like you sort of start to feel like he's... Very simple in the way he talks and the way he relates to Gerard Butler. He's kind of humorous in some of the things he says. Mm -hmm. And then Donald Logue just stabs him in the neck. Or I mean, not Donald Logue. (laughs) Gerard Butler. (laughs) Damn it. We should, we got to tag Donald Logue um, in this. Okay. Um, 
Gerard Butler just stabs him in the neck a bunch of times with a T-bone from a T-bone steak. Yeah. And there's blood everywhere. Then Gerard Butler just kind of sits down and is like, well. I need a shower now. I need a shower. And like he, straight up punches the dude. Uh-huh. In the neck with like Wolverine, one that's Wolverine a good, claw. Yeah. Good. That's a that's a great great. Like it wasn't um, like comparison. like it wasn't stabbing. Like he was no. He li- just punched him through the neck. Oh my! So yeah, blood everywhere, and we find out the reason that he did that is so that he could get transferred to solitary confinement, mm-hmm. and that's where kind of the brilliance of his plan starts to be revealed. Yeah, because they think he's got an accomplice, right? And that's that's what they're focusing on. Who's the accomplice? Because the murder that that he confessed to get the T bone steak um, hadn't happened. Uh, until he was in prison. So they assume that there must be somebody on the outside who's helping him. Mm-hmm. And they go through a couple more. Like, after that, he murders. <laughs> Let's talk about the judge. <laughs> because, holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> like, like, so there's the judge who tried his murder case. His, uh, when he... When tried he, his wife's murder case. She was part of the problem with the plea deal or whatnot. Was she the original judge? I think so. I don't remember that. Okay. Because that's why he was so pissed off at her for when he was standing in front of her for his case. He was like, you were I about to like, let me go. I feel like that's not right, though, because I feel like we never see the judge who tries Darby. We'll have to... I feel like everybody was related. Like, everybody I think, was I think, part of that original case. I think he just um, came after her because he was just pissed and wanted to make an example. Because like, we're starting to like now take down the system right exactly because gotcha. she, she he basically feeds her a bunch of bullshit she buys into it and then he goes off on her in the middle of the courtroom <laughs> punctuating it very emphatically after he's system systematically or systemically systematically Syste- taking her um her ruling apart he is being escorted out of the courtroom and said <laughs> thank you excuse me No, I don't think I will excuse you. You see, this is what I'm talking about. You were about to let me go. Are you kidding me? This is why we're here in the first place. You think I don't remember who you are, lady? I would tread carefully, Mr. Sheldon. Well, how carefully should I tread? Because apparently, I just killed two people. And you were about to let me walk right out that door. How misguided are you? I feed you a couple of bullshit legal precedents, and there you go. You jump on it like a bitch and eat. You folks, you all I'm hang out in the same Mr. little Sheldon, club. You and will every be day held you let madmen and murderers back on the street, you're too busy treating the law like it's a One fucking assembly line. One more you time. Any idea what justice you is? Are now what, whatever in happened to right and wrong? Court. Christ, whatever happened to right and court. wrong? Whatever happened to the people? Failed and I. Whatever happened Failed to justice? And I bet you take it up the fucking ass, bitch. Bailiff. I see you later, Nick. <laughs> Which is just, I mean, why? But And she's like repeatedly pounding down on the gavel. And I was like, man, that's... Right. <laughs> like she, and that's not going to do anyway, anything. Anyway, so he holds her at fault for being a product or being a an instrument in the system that essentially let his wife's killer go free right so later in the film he booby traps her cell phone which is is kind of like not a running gag but like a running thing between the judge and jamie fox his cell phone keeps going off during court and she Mm -hmm. says no you can't do that next time it's mine all that 
And then she picks up her cell phone while they're talking in her office. And she says, well, I'm a judge. I can do whatever I want. Hello? And then the cell phone explodes and blows her head off. Right. <laughs> Which was just, I didn't, the first time I saw that, like, I jumped. I didn't see that coming. I thought it was a sniper. Like, the first time, like, I was like, ooh, somebody shot her through the window. Oh, okay. And then I was like. No, yeah, I could see that. But no, I did not, did not see that coming at all. And no, her cell phone explodes and basically shoots her through the head. Yeah. So then she, so she's the next victim. So we've got Ames, the first death row guy. Yep. Darby, yep. the killer. Darby's attorney. Yep. Who gets locked in a box underground. And asphyxiates. And the judge. Yep. So we're up to four. And then. And um, the cellmate. Oh, and the cellmate. Right. Okay. So we're up to five. So now Gerard Butler's in solitary confinement and all these murders keep happening. Now the next one, I'm pretty sure it's the next one is this is where gerard butler says i will kill everyone right i think it's right before that and then basically executes the entire legal team working to prosecute him hey nick get some rest give chester my regards when do i get to meet him oh he's not ready for that night jonas I don't know how this one's going to turn out, Nick. We're going to stop him. That's how it's going to turn out. When you're watching the film, like I'm like, this is a really weird jail. You know, like it almost looks like a high school that they outfitted with cell doors and whatnot because they're going down and everything's tiled. And then there's a bird cage where Jamie Foxx and Gerard Butler are talking. And it's oh, yeah, supremely okay. cold because in some scenes you can see you can actually see their breath coming out of their mouths. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't recognize um, that. Which I'm sure they just turned down the the temperature of the set or whatever, so they're not sweating in suits and whatnot. Um, but the so I was like, this is I wonder why they did production design on the jail how it is, and then I found out it's a real jail, and uh, some of the people screaming through the cell doors, real prisoners. Really? Yeah. Like wow. they were saying that they would have to like the first couple of days, the crew was just terrified to be walking in through the jail with all their camera equipment and whatnot. So that's a good good time to bring up the director F. Gary Scott. Gray. No, wait. F. Gary Gray? F. F. Scott Fitzgerald? Fitzgerald? Oh, he wrote The Great Gatsby. Never <laughs> yes. mind. Okay, never mind. Yeah, F. Gary Gray, who also directed Straight Outta Compton. Which... And, I mean, this guy does not get enough love. What else? Because did... Straight Outta Compton was the only thing I immediately associated him with. So Straight Outta Compton, Fate of the Furious, Friday, The Italian Job. Wait, which one was Fate of the Furious? The last one, I think. Because wasn't it F. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was great. Um... Friday, the Italian job, set it off, the negotiator. Like, this guy okay. is legit. I love Straight Outta Compton very much. Just, like, it was very entertaining to me. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to profess to know a ton about, like, NWA and all that, but, like, that movie was very entertaining to me. And Fate of the Furious was great. So, this movie, I feel like there are a lot of moments where, like, the cinematography, especially, is just really, really, really adds to the, like, overall vibe of the, like, the grimness of this movie. Right. Even last night when I was watching it, and at the end, we'll skip ahead, when he, when Gerard Butler finally gets his comeuppance and the explosion and the fire, like, I've never seen anything like that in another movie. The way the fire engulfs the room. Engulfs and, like, travels up the walls and all that stuff. Like, that was really cool. And that, the fact that you brought up the Icarus metaphor 
more. That that makes it even more interesting, I think. Right. So, so back to the fact that they were using a real prison with real prisoners. I had no idea, but that makes it even cooler. Like that's that's pretty awesome. Like I I don't know that I've heard of a, another movie that's done something quite like that. Yeah. No. I mean, other than like foreign films or whatever, when they go into a Thai prison or something like that. But uh, oh yeah, like. Um, <clears throat> Shoot, what's that really terrible foreign film that you're never supposed to watch? A Serbian film. Is that what it's called? Yeah. A Serbian film? Look it up. It's it's just messed up. You know what I was going to suggest that you were maybe thinking about? What? Broke Down Palace. Oh, no. That's <laughs> Breakdown? Breakdown with Kurt Russell? No. Break, oh, my gosh. These are all... Great movie. Blast from the past. At the point where... So, basically, so the entire legal team, which six people, including the girl who is Jamie Foxx's, like, paralegal or sidekick Leslie or something. Bim. You start to notice her more and more throughout the movie. She becomes, like, an actual character. She gets killed. Five other people, all car bombs. I would say 30 seconds before Leslie Bibb dies, uh-huh. I thought she was the accomplice. Oh, really? Like, I was like, oh, it's her. Oh, interesting. And then she gets blown up, and I'm like, no, it's no, not. No, it's her. not. <laughs> so at that point... Do we ever find out who Chester is? No. Okay. Other than a... Chester is her... Um, Boyfriend. behind the scenes like boyfriend slash legal advisor or something like that and he just comes up through email so you never really find out but at that point when all the cars blew up that was the point in the movie where i was like well gerard butler won <laughs> like you can put him away you can execute him but he won right he killed the two guys who killed his wife he killed the lawyer who helped get him off he killed the judge who not wronged him but the judge who was and not even corrupt, but was just not effective. And then he killed these, all these innocent people, essentially, who were just trying to do their jobs, who had really nothing to do with Jamie Foxx other than association. At that point, he won the movie, I think. Now here's where I go. I think we're getting into a horrible gray area because Gerard Butler, now obviously bad guy. Like he's just, he's not to skip too far ahead, but now he's about to burn alive everybody in City Hall. Like... <laughs> Right. Jamie Foxx, who's our protagonist, who's our good guy that we're kind of following along, I don't think ever learns a lesson. Because even at this point, he's like, no, we did everything right back in the day. Like, we did everything right. Like, he never wavers. He's like, I did everything right regarding the the plea deal at the very beginning. Does he even say that, though? Or does he just kind of... He keeps defending his decision because everybody is... I think that's more appropriate because he just keeps saying, we made the choice, we have to move forward. Like, I don't know that he, he he does say that it was the right choice, but you almost wonder if he's trying to convince himself of that. As much as he's trying to, like, convince the other people. Of that. Right. Because the more impressive kind, or not impressive, the more emphatic argument that he keeps making is, like, we made a choice, we have to live with it. Which isn't the same as saying we made the right choice. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but at that point, you're right. I think Gerard Butler wins the movie in in the sense that he's accomplished just about everything he hopes to, uh, with the exception of the final explosion. Right. But at the same time, that's sort of when it turns him from sympathetic into a villain. Mass murder. Because those people essentially all fall on the line of innocent. Mm -hmm. Even the judge could be argued that she was more or less innocent. I mean, other than the two people that actually killed his wife, they're essentially all... I mean, the lawyer, he was painted to be like a a sleazy asshole and, and essentially just kind of a stereotypical, you know lawyer who is a is a sleaze basically right I guess. um but yeah more or less this is when you realize that like gerard butler is kind of more of a psycho than like a plotting genius 
I suppose. And to fast forward, his final, well, we assume his final act of, of vengeance is going to be blowing up City Hall with the mayor and all of the like high-ranking government officials and police. And the mayor was a surprise. Viola Davis just comes out and you're like, oh, you, yeah. you've been hiding her the whole film? Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be Catherine Zeta-Jones at first. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. There's a six degrees because we did um, Hunchback and she would. No, no, that was Demi Moore. Never that mind. was. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> not the same person. My bad. So he goes to um, blow up City Hall and that's when Jamie Foxx and Cole Meany. Cole Meany does not get enough love. Great in Con Air. Fantastic in uh, Die Hard 2. And they figure out that Gerard Butler has purchased with his money from being a super genius inventor, purchased nine or so industrial properties that all happen to surround the prison that he's been put inside. They go inside, they start investigating, and they realize that he has tunneled his way into every solitary confinement cell beneath the prison so that no matter what cell he got put in, he could tunnel his way out at night, do what he had to do to set up these executions, and then come back in without anyone noticing. Right. That, to me, honestly, was like, like I didn't figure that out <laughs> until they until they directly started like tunneling through into the prison yeah and i was like oh because i thought he had an accomplice too or something like that or just something along well, there was no reason to doubt it you right. know like they set it up so well that you're like oh right so i i thought that too and then the tunneling thing was another one where i was like wow he's that's really smart so from there jamie fox kind of gets the upper hand he finds the bomb at city hall brings it back to Gerard Butler's cell without Gerard Butler realizing, and then they have this final confrontation where they're cloaked in darkness, and it's sort of like a, ha-ha, I finally got you. Mm. And then that's at the point when I was like, but did you really? <laughs> because six members of your staff are dead, judge is dead, another couple people are dead, and all you're going to do is blow up Gerard Butler. Right. Like, you know, And then he gets to go be with his wife and child again. Right, and that's the other thing. And that's the point when you kind of realize, he says something like, does he say it's not what you know, it's what you can prove? Yeah. He says something, and then he says, you taught me that, Clyde. But it's so, like, the delivery is so just um like mechanical that you're like like you said he you don't believe he learned anything <laughs> like you don't believe he feels bad or feels remorse for copying this plea years ago like you just think that he's saying it kind of to save face because like the last image of the movie is pushing it on jamie fox as he's finally making his daughter's cello right r- recital right and you're like I'm waiting for that moment of realization, like, this should also be Gerard Butler sitting here watching his family right. grow, you know, like, oh, and be with his really family and everything. Point. Yeah. And they're pushing in, and I'm like, I'm going to get that moment finally from Jamie Foxx, and then he just breathes a sigh of relief that his daughter didn't fuck up her cello recital. Right, <laughs> like, right. And then they clap, and, you know, and Le Fine. Movie's over. So that's that's the part. Or El Fine. El Fine, Le Fine, whatever. <laughs> That's the part that we go back to from the beginning where I say, I'm not sure who, and, and, and realistically, it's obvious, and, and technically and all those things, it's obvious that Jamie Foxx is the protagonist and Gerard Butler is the villain. True. But putting together all the points that you just mentioned with, like, this should be Gerard Butler watching his daughter's cello recital, you know, Gerard Butler trusted the system and it didn't work and all that kind of stuff, you you gain sympathy. And maybe that's why this is such a movie that I enjoy, because you gain sympathy on this huge curve for Gerard Butler throughout the whole movie. He's, mm-hmm. You know, he's he's avenging his family, probably not the most diplomatic way, but avenging his family, you know, 
in escalating situations. And then there comes the point where he just kind of starts killing the innocent people. And that's when the, the turn happens and you start feeling less sympathetic for him and a little bit more sympathetic for Jamie Foxx. But it never, ri- Jamie Foxx's, the sympathy for Jamie Foxx never rises to the level you had it for Gerard Butler. I don't I, think. I think it's the death of Sarah, of Leslie Bibb, mm-hmm. where it's kind of like, okay, because everybody, every everybody else that he kills is like some asshole guy who uh-huh. has like asshole theories and mm-hmm. who, you know, is like, this is just what we do. We mm-hmm. get criminals off, we convict others, and, right. you know, like this is how it works. Right. Where Leslie Bibb is the one that's like, I really want to live for something, you know, right. like type of thing. Oh, that's she right. has she like, gives that whole monologue like, I'm, I've given up, uh, she says like, I'm 35, I've given up having a family, which really depressed me when she said I'm 35 and I'm... Well, up. women are different in the same instance. I guess. That's another show. <laughs> But yeah, that painted her as one of the more human characters um, because she did say all those things about like emotions and having a family. And did I give this up for nothing more than a high conviction rate? Right. Which is essentially, um, you know, that's a that's a really good conundrum she poses, and that makes you feel even worse when she dies. And Jamie Foxx just stares at her as she and, does. You yeah, know, like he doesn't even he goes to the funeral, right? Mm. Oh, we forgot a guy. We forgot the DA. Yeah. Um, that guy who plays the president in like every movie. That's what that's where he's from because he came in. I was like, where do I know him from? I don't I'm know. Look it up as you talk. Um, but he gets he go they go to her funeral and then he gets executed. I think along with some other like cops or bodyguards or something with um this like robot uh drone. What Bruce McGill is his name. Okay. He's what up, Bruce? His top four known for movies. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Let me see if I can guess. Time Cop? Oh, my gosh. Good job. Time Cop? Yeah, yeah I know Time Cop. Time Cop. Oh, hold on, hold on. Um, <laughs> Animal House? I did not know that. Lincoln? Did not know that. And My Cousin Vinny. He plays the... Oh, the sheriff. Yeah. Yeah, My Cousin Vinny. Yep. That's where I, That's where when he came out, I was like, oh, why do I like that guy so much? It's My Cousin Vinny. I used to watch that like every morning before I went to school. Nice. Time Cop. Um, yeah, I remember him specifically from Time Cop. But anyway, he's dead. He dies. And he's like a essentially... Oh, I thought you meant in real life. No, not in real life. Well, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. But let me clarify yeah, that. Is he? Nope. He was born in 1950. Okay. No death day. Confirmed. Bruce McGill, keep trucking. I hope you're on Twitter. So um, <laughs> he dies, and he's another one that's sort of innocent. Like, he's got tendencies throughout the whole movie where he kind of urges Jamie Foxx, just forget it, move on. But at the same point, he's still, like, there are, there are parts of his dialogue and stuff where you kind of get a little bit of sympathy for him. That's probably my least favorite death scene in the movie, only because you ever see like the jackal and stuff like that with a. Uh, I don't remember the Bruce jackal. Wills. I mean, I remember. Richard I never Gere. saw it. Um, so like the shooting up of the car, uh-huh. just just destroying it type uh-huh. of thing, and then using a rocket. Oh, is kind of one of those like, why don't you just use the rocket in the front? You know, like. Uh-huh. He made a point, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good point. He destroyed all those old gravestones, though. Yeah, that's I felt not cool. bad about that. That's not cool. Again, we're we're detracting from the sympathy of of the Gerard Butler character. True. He destroyed all those gravestones. If I had one beef with the movie, it would be that I guess Jamie Fox never struck me as a guy who learned his lesson. Right. You pointed out, and I didn't realize the whole thing with the daughter's cello recital. That's why you're better at film than I am. <laughs> But that's a big deal, too. And from there, it's just like you kind of backtrack and you're like, when did like when did I stop feeling sympathy for Gerard Butler and start feeling it for Jamie Foxx? And was there enough sympathy? And maybe that's why the critics didn't dig it so much, because it was maybe a little too ambiguous. Well, I think and maybe but they didn't necessarily say that. They just said that it was too one. I don't think they liked the the writer, Kurt Wimmer. Kurt Wimmer always writes 
uh, films that are just under the radar. Okay. So, like, he did uh, Sphere. Oh, okay. um, The Recruit with Colin Farrell. Oh, yeah. The new Total Recall. The new Point Break. He just announced that he was doing Twister, which I was like, are you kidding me? They're going to remake that? But no, it's completely... I don't know why they named it Is it it about the game? No, it's about... (laughs) Maybe it's about... The new Twister will be about Bobby, just out of a mental institution, takes the identity of a man seeking to appropriate a big inheritance, not realizing that he may be getting into more troubles than he thought. Maybe we shouldn't use the title of a very famous tornado movie. (laughs) Or a very famous party game. (laughs) Right. And then he did, I think, Law Abiding Citizen, actually... And maybe the Thomas Crown Affair is his two <laughs> best movies. What are you- I just, I don't know. I mean, there are just some movies and even some, like, people that you forget about completely. The and then you are reminded of them. And you're like, wow, I'm proud of myself for forgetting that. Oh, I love the Thomas Crown Affair. Well, maybe, Renee we'll put it on the list. maybe we'll put it on the list. That's like a James Bond movie that should have happened. So I don't think that critics necessarily like him. Mainly their problem was... That they found it so unrealistic that Gerard Butler could plan all this. Where I don't think they gave him uh, enough credit concerning the fact that it was 10 fucking years. You know, like. I didn't get that vibe at all. That was not a um, concern of mine. Like, the way they paint him as a genius, that whole dialogue with the spy saying he's the smartest guy we've ever had and all that kind of stuff. Like, why wouldn't he be able to plan all that? I feel like. The, the contraptions that he came up with, not far off to what, like, CIA is doing no. now. You know, like, poison shooting pens and, you know, like... And it's not like he invented, like, time travel or right. something like that. They were all, like, like believable devices and, and, and methods and stuff like that, right. I thought, anyway. Our uh, favorite critic liked it, so that's all that. Roger Ebert, I mean, he gave it three out of four stars. Is he our favorite critic? I thought He's he my- was... Well, I, I started hating him at the beginning. This is this is a whole travel. This is a whole journey with Second Chance Cinema for me because I start off not liking Ebert. Right, that's now, what I remember. Yeah, now I... Now I, you're into him? I, so he, his final parting shot was, Law Abiding Citizen is one of those movies you like more at the time than in retrospect. I mean, come on, you're thinking. Still, there's something to be said for a movie you like well enough at the time. Yeah, that's... I don't think that's too damning of a review. Right. No, three out of four. But I will disagree and say that I've liked it each time that I've watched it more and more. Says, as Gerard Butler's methods are uncovered, it's clear he's a non-magical human being, but a clever one with remarkable resources. There we go. Mm -hmm. That's fair. So, yeah. That's fair. All right. So, final thoughts, law-abiding citizen. I think it's a think piece. I think everybody, I mean, maybe we spoiled the movie if, (laughs) if people didn't go out to watch it beforehand. But in the same instance, I think that even if you listen to this podcast and you heard everything that we said. Both of you who are listening to this podcast. <laughs> all tenia. <laughs> um, if you go out and see the movie, then you can also think back and go, well, who was the bad guy? Right. Who was the good guy? You know, like, who do you side with? See, to me, that's the mark of, like, a fun movie to to think about. Like, The Dark Knight, I think, is a perfect example. Like, Batman is the good guy. Joker's the bad guy. But the more and more you listen to the Joker's, like, rationale and the things he asserts and all that, and that, like, people are essentially good because they put on a front for society, but deep down they're bad, and once they get tested, they'll break and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he proves that in the movie. So, like, he wins. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. Like, essentially, Gerard Butler won this movie, you know, in, in terms of the fact that he got his revenge, which is what he set out to do at the beginning. And that's why... 
it's interesting to think about in terms of him being a good guy, him being a bad guy, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, you like you could see how the movie is set up where you're supposed to root for Jamie Foxx. I just love revenge flicks, and I'd totally side with Gerard Butler probably for most of it, other than when he kills Leslie Bibb. Then I go, okay, now it's time to get your comeuppance. He loves revenge flicks. You heard it here second, cops. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, but don't come get me. I won't testify against my friend. Oh, thank <clears> you. No problem. So, law-abiding citizen. I think we can agree that if you haven't checked it out, you should check it out. Um, even though we've spoiled most of the plot by now. But chances are, if you listen to this whole podcast, you've seen it already. If not, hopefully what we said within the... Hopefully the poetry... It's on Netflix. Yeah, it is on Netflix. And hopefully the poetry that we came up with, the genius poems, will have enticed you enough to just click off this podcast and start watching. And if you're like MC and you want to see a naked Gerard Butler, go check it out. Check it out. Because in retrospect, Law Abiding Citizen, as we like to say on Second Chance Cinema, it wasn't wasn't that bad. This has been Second Chance Cinema. I am one of your hosts, MC. I'm Spro. And so, until next time, uh, thanks for listening. Law Abiding Citizen was produced by The Film Department, Warp Films, Evil Twins. It was distributed by Overture Films. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the film's soundtrack, composed by Brian Taylor. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And if you're sent to prison and have to kill your cellmate, order a T-bone steak. And then, you know, you know, enjoy your steak.